And I forgot my talk this morning for the first time ever. And I had to drive back. And I was just singing that song. I was just like screaming. My voice is a wee bit. I was just like, I want to know you more. I'm laying down all my religion. As I step into this space, I'm laying down all my religion, and I want to know you more, which means I bring all of myself, and I'm not going to bring any religious expectations into this place the way things should be. I'm just going to bring my real, raw, mess and all self. And in that, I want to know you more. And I feel that's a word. As we start in this space, as we go again, I want to know you more. So, Lord, I want to pray as we open your word that we would know you more. And we as a a church family lay down our religion. And we say, come, Holy Spirit. And we bring our real, raw selves right now. Everything that's going on, everything that's swirling around our lives just now, the good things, the not so good things, we invite you into them. We invite you into them. We give you permission. We say yes, because we know you're good. We know you're so good, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are continuing our series in Jonah, and uh, we're in chapter three this week. Chapter one, we looked at Jonah running. We looked at him running from God's instructions. We looked at him uh, running from God's instruction to preach to Nineveh, and we've seen him sleeping at sea, but we've seen his heart sleeping as well. His heart was asleep to the things of God uh, in God, uh, God's direction. And we've seen God's mercy in remarkable ways in this passage as well, saving Jonah, but also saving the men on the ship or the boat that he was sleeping on. And then we looked at two weeks ago, Jonah's cries in prayer when he was in the belly of the fish, when he was in this darkness hopeless moment. And we looked at how that moment can resonate with our belly in the fish seasons that perhaps we go through in life, how we can journey seasons of hopelessness. And we've seen with Jonah that he taught us that he prioritized prayer in his panic. He, this passage that we looked at two weeks ago, we, it taught us how to learn, how to lament, and also it showed us a uh, what else did it show us? I'm trying to remember. To be real with the pain as well, and that God always shows up when we're at the end of our rope. When we're at the end of our rope, there is always, always God. So, we're in Jonah 3, and we're going to read from chapter verse 1, and it should come up on the screen as well. Brilliant. Oh, it's a wee bit blurry on the left-hand side there. Let's read. Oh, we've not done our Bible. Where's our Bibles? There we go. Heather, why don't you be our Bible distributor? If you don't have a Bible, uh, wave your hand in the air and Heather will get a Bible to you. Uh, and let's, let's do that. No one. Everyone's got their Bibles. Oh, I've been waiting for this day, folks. <laughs> right. That's, well, should we just go now, will we? <laughs> right. Let's, let's read. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. 
took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from the evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Amen. Amen. So I've got three points. Today's talk's called Go, Go, Go. And each point is a go point. So the first point I want to look at is go again. Go again. Uh, you re- may remember, does anybody know actually, who invented the light bulb? Edison, Thomas Edison. Now he was working on, a, on the light bulb and it took a whole team of men 24 straight hours to put one of these bulbs together. So a whole day working intensely to put them together. And the story goes that when Edison was finished with one light bulb, he gave it to a young boy, a helper, who uh, nervously carried it up the stairs. Step by step, he continually watched his hands, obviously frightened of dropping such a precious thing. It was such a tense moment. You know, you could see in his face what had been bestowed upon him. All these men had worked so hard for this to be uh, put together. And you probably guessed what happened by now. The poor young fellow dropped the bulb at the top of the stairs. And it took the entire team of men 24 more hours to make another bulb. Finally, tired and ready for a break, Edison was ready to have his bulb carried up the stairs again. He gave it to the same young boy who dropped the first one. I love that. I love that. I love that picture. I love that picture. Just think of that. Think of what those men would have been feeling in that moment. Oh my goodness. Edison, after all that time again, maybe two days straight awake, matchsticks and eyes, lots of coffee, lots of our coffee. His team of men, right, we need to make sure we give it, you know, you can imagine the men saying, we need to make sure we give it to another guy now. I'll maybe take the bulb. No, no, no. This boy can go again. He can go again. And it sums up the opening of this chapter. Jonah, thinking he knows best, running away, disobeying, God saves and gives another chance. Verse 1, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. It came again. The word of the Lord came a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. I love this. He doesn't look for someone else. He doesn't discount. He doesn't uh, forget. He doesn't uh, get, he, he doesn't push him to the side. He gives him another chance. He says to Jonah, go again. I have saved you for such a time as this. The same Jonah who ran the complete opposite way. The same Jonah who dropped the bulb. The same Jonah who didn't want anything to do with that instruction. God says, go again. Go again. Carry this message to Nineveh. Maybe there's an invite as we step into this new season to go again for some of us. Maybe we read this passage and about uh, God of the second chances, but we live maybe in the shame of dropping the bulb. And we're like, no, I can't possibly carry it again. 
perhaps we're really anxious if we step out again that bad stuff will happen. Perhaps we think, gosh, if I step out, last time I did that, life was hard. I'm quite comfy just now. The enemy loves that kind of internal dialogue because our biggest activity becomes our inactivity out of fear of getting it wrong, out of uh, wanting to live the comfortable life maybe and not wanting to follow God's call. And I believe there might be a wee word, an order maybe from the Lord to go again this morning, to bring what God is birthing and stirring in each of us, to give it space to breathe to allow Him to work in us, to say yes, because that's why we're here, isn't it? We want to know what we're for, what, what's the Lord putting in us that we can then give out, out with these four walls. What's He stirring? What's He birthing? To give Him our lives, to worship Him. What's He saying to us? And for some of us, God, as I was thinking about going again, I, I, I think maybe God is speaking again and saying to us that old orders are good orders until you get new orders. I think that is a word. Old orders are good orders until you get new orders. To step into where you once were. There's an invitation to step in, and uh, God's going to be with you in that. He's going to be with you in that. And for some of us, we've been hurt at work or at church. And I believe the Lord wants to heal and to restore and to bring hope and for us to come alive. Our vision as a church is that we would be a place where people come alive. As we enter into this new season. So not going back. I remember when we were praying in the cinema. We're not going back. We're going again. We're going again. And the Lord, I believe, wants to do that with many of us here this morning. To go again. Go again. So that's the first go. The second go I want to look at in the passage is go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh. So there's this instruction to go to this place called Nineveh, which uh, will explain a little bit more detail what went on in Nineveh. But first, I'm going to share a wee story. And I realize I've totally underestimated the size of this table. Let me have a wee water. <laughs> it's tiny. I need to get a taller one. I remember it must have been around 2015, I was uh, working as a youth pastor, and I got an invite through a friend of a friend, and it was an invite that worried me. My initial reaction was worry. It was to Peterhead Young Offenders uh, Prison. And I was, a, I was the youth pastor, and the invite just made me feel really uncomfortable. My initial thing was like, I didn't want to go, I didn't feel equipped to go, I didn't feel I could help in any way. I just felt I'm going to be useless. I wouldn't know what to say. How could I relate? But I knew I was to go. That's the important thing. In the swirl of all that instant reaction, I knew I was to go. And I remember the first few times that I went uh, to help, it was like a Bible study with uh, the young offenders. And I have all these security checks. I mean, you think an airport's bad, it was crazy to go through all the security checks. And then you sit in this space waiting for the young offenders to come in to uh, the room. And uh, there's two or three 
prison guards each side. There's prison guards that escort you through. There's another two or three prison guards that escort all the young offenders through as well. And there was juice and biscuits laid out for the young people. So uh, they were ready to have uh, some snacks as they all come in. So there was about 15 young people that came in, uh, age range between about 13 and 19. And uh, all the bravado, you know, as they came in, all the noise, it, it sounded like a herd of young people. It was like 200, if it sounded, you know, you could hear that. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I doing? What am I doing? Am I going to be okay? And there was all the inappropriate jokes and banter. And I'm praying genuinely, Lord, please just get me home. I pray that I'll be okay. Like I'm praying. I'm like, oh, Lord. And then they come in. And Hi. Yes, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to be okay. And I remember looking at the prison guards and I'm thinking, some of these prison guards are smaller than me. And there's, you know, I, I, do they know what they're doing? It looks like they've just had the uniform slapped on. The first, is this your first day? How long? I'm just asking them, how long have you been here? What's your experience? I wasn't really. But that's what was going on in my mind. And I remember some of these lads you know, 15, 16, looked like they spent all their days while they were in this prison at the gym. So they're coming in all like this, like double the size of me. Hi, mate. And I'm like, hi. <laughs> Just like feeling really intimidated as well. Massive imposing figures. And I'm just worrying about looking at one of them the wrong way. So there was loads of stuff going on. It was one of the few times in my life that I was in a place of just real stretch. You know, those places where I don't know, this is how I explained it. It felt like I was stepping into, I, I tried a lot of blurriness of less control. It was almost like out of body. I don't know what it was. It was like in that moment, I knew there was nothing I could do. And I was like, God, you need to be in this room because I can't do anything here. I need to know you are here. I need to know you are here. And I just prayed, God, use me. I don't think I can be used, but use me. I'm here because you thought it was a good idea use me. And I remember the drive back one particular moment, driving back from Peterhead, and it just struck me how amazing it was. Here I was in all my prejudice, all my fears and uncomfortableness and my selfishness, but God was so blooming real in that room. I could feel behind the bravado, I could hear in their voices the simple need for those boys to be listened to and to be loved. And that's the phrase, listen, to be listened to and to be loved. And I felt as I was preparing that that's the Jesus way, to listen and to love. As I look at Jesus in the Gospels, he listened and he loved. He listened and he loved. I think that's what Jesus did best. And I could feel God in the room as we prayed. Teenage criminals, some of them you know, 14, 15 years old who were in for over 20 years. They're saying, I'm here for 20 years. And once you listened, like really listened, we had a connection. We're sharing cookies and chatting about WWF and just having a laugh together. But also, I was speaking into situations. I was getting to pray. They were encouraging me. And there were still hairy moments in the mix of that, don't get me wrong. I was still, there were still moments it could kick off at any time. But honestly, it was one of my Nineveh moments. God was thick in that space. And he did a lot in me in that season and showed up in unexpected ways. Jonah was sent to Nineveh, located in what is now modern Iraq. 
for those who like a bit of geography. That's as much as you're getting. Uh, Nineveh was known for its great wealth, power, and privilege. The Assyrians were notorious, as I mentioned before, for their cruelty, for their brutality. They had a reputation for their idolatry. And their capital, Nineveh, contained many temples. It had a temple including one to Ishtar, which was the Assyrian goddess that some scholars believe was the namesake of Nineveh. One famous Assyrian leader who's called oh gosh, I'm going to try, Ashurnarasirapal II, uh, just before King Jeroboam, who was the king at the time of Jonah, who was king during, uh, just before Jonah, this king was known, and this is going to get a wee bit graphic, for hanging his enemies on posts and lining the city walls with them. He also burned his enemies. So, to give you, I could go on. It was brutal. It was brutal, their activity. And their hallmark and their reputation was brutality. It was a space you didn't want to go, let alone preach. Think about it. You know, you just didn't want to go there, let alone preach. A place where hope was in the ashes, light was nowhere to be seen. It was dark. It was beyond redemption. So Jonah, Jonah thought that. I'm not going to go. They don't deserve to hear. But then something remarkable happens. We have one of the world's shortest sermons. It's eight words in here, but in the original Hebrew, it's five words. And uh, it says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. And the Ninevites believe God from that sermon. And the most amazing turnaround happens. I want to ask us this morning, where is your Nineveh church? Where is that place? Because it's in the darkest, muckiest, God-forsaken places that His power is ready to invade in the most remarkable ways. A turnaround is possible. The spaces that fill us with fear, the spaces that we've written off, the spaces that we have those blurry, you know, we know we need to step into and rely and place all our security in all what we think is best and go, God, I need you to show up. I need you to do what only you can do. Where is your Nineveh? Where is He nudging you on? Where is He reminding you about as I'm speaking? Is there a place or a space? Is there a group of people? Is there an idea that keeps cropping up again and again? Is there a heart response to a certain uh, ministry or a certain thing? And we feel intensely the pain, but think, what can I do? Is there an unimaginable dream that God, uh, with God would be possible? If we only change direction and headed with Him into it? Is there a space that fills us with fear, but we just know God is calling us to go? What would Inverness Vineyard Church look like if we were a crazy group of people? We're still kind of crazy, but what if we all stacked our yeses wherever it may take us as we leave here? It might not be glamorous, it might not get us noticed. It might not take the glory. It might not be what we wanted. But what would it instill in our church right now for those young people next door and those young people next door? If we as a group committed, let's be a people who stack our yeses. Let's be a people who are not afraid to go into these places if God is calling us. Where is that? And then finally, go into the new Go in the new, go in the new. I have three boys, and uh, 
It's full on. It's great. That's it, really. That's all I wanted to share. Pray for me. <laughs> I can't wait to go camping with them. I can't wait to go camping with them. Uh, we've had some practice nights in the garden, and they've been interesting. They've been interesting, and I realize I'm getting older. I can't do camping like I used to be. It's terrible, isn't it? I'm getting I can't do it. Like I feel like sore for days afterwards. So much fun though, the smells and the sounds, the senses that illuminate in that space when you're, when you're camping. But one thing that isn't great is the light at 4.30 in the morning and you're like, gosh, oh, it's ready, it's the morning. What? It's like 4.30? Not great. But so much fun. We get the camping stove and we get bacon and eggs sizzling in the camping stove out in the garden and the boys are running about like it's two in the afternoon and it's quarter to eight in the morning. Our neighbors are loving us. And I remember looking for a wee camping holiday last summer, and I seen glamping pods. Anybody been in a glamping pod before? A couple of people. Uh, we went for a night. Was it last year or the night before? I can't. We ended up booking one, and it was great. But I realised this isn't camping. It wasn't even glamorous camping. It was just a small house. It was just a small house. It feels like we want to believe in those moments. It is camping. <laughs> it isn't. We never have to go outside. You know, glamping has the sense of adventure of camping, yet we deck it all out with the same furnishings that we have at home. It's like our living room. We're taking our living room with us on holiday. It has the exact same stuff. Nothing really changes on the inside. We may drive to a new place, we may set ourselves in a new surrounding, but the newness goes unnoticed, for we've only carried our old setting into that. Saying all that, if anyone has a glamping pod, we'd love to try it out. I'll give you the dates during tea and coffee. The adventure of a new life in Christ begins when the comfortable patterns of the old life are left behind. There is transformation. We go in the new we go in the new. Verse 6 is quite, it's an incredible picture. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from the throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Royalty didn't matter to the king when God invaded. Position didn't matter to the king when God invaded. Riches didn't matter to the king when God invaded. Just reminded me of that song, uh, riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou, mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only, the first in my, uh, my heart, high King of heaven, my treasure thou art. Nineveh's treasure focus shifted after a five-word sermon. Wow. With God, that's all it can take. Just dwell on that for a second. Not big rallies or church services or healing meetings, or holiday clubs, or lots of prayer. Five words from a sermon. God can do that. I love that. It would make my prep so much easier. Five words, and on you go, Lord. I want to share something nearly as short, but just as powerful. And before I share it, I want to ask us, where is our treasure? Who's on the throne this morning? What riches do we rely on? Where is God placed in our lives just now? Uh, Jay Pathak, who is the director of Vineyard USA, 
he was, uh, he's done a little video on the Vineyard website, and he was to share the gospel in one minute. And he says, one minute, I can do it in 20 seconds. And he says this, you're a mess. God is amazing. He's done all the work. Receive His grace. You enter into His family, a free gift that you must receive. I love that. Maybe God wants to remind us this morning, keep it simple. Keep it simple. I'll do the legwork. You just bring faithfully what you've got. And I wrote here in my notes, you just bring faithfully what you've got, kid. I don't know what, but just that thing of children of God, just bring it to our Father. Just bring it to our Father. And maybe that's what we've lost. Maybe that's what we've lost, bringing faithfully what we have. Because we think what we have isn't enough. It is enough. And I think there's an invitation from the Lord to just bring it. In uh, verse 6 to 9, everything changed in a city of destruction. It became a city of repentance. From the throne to the dust, from feasting to fasting, from lifestyle of persecuting to a lifestyle of prayer, from brutality to beginnings, new beginnings. The old is gone, the new is here. I wonder what patterns of our old lives are we to leave behind this morning? I wonder what patterns that we're carrying that we just can't shake off, that actually we haven't invited God fully into. And this morning, right in this moment, by His Spirit, He wants to do something. He wants to break them off. I'm just going to finish with this story. During the building of the Golden Gate Bridge over San Francisco Bay, construction fell badly behind schedule because workers had uh, fallen from the scaffolding to their deaths. Engineers and administrators could find no solution. But then somebody suggested a gigantic net to be hung under the bridge to catch anyone who fell. Finally, in spite of the enormous cost, the engineers opted for the net. After it was installed, progress was hardly interrupted. A worker or two fell into the net, but they were saved. Ultimately, all the time lost to fear was regained by replacing fear with faith in the net. As we paid nothing for God's eternal love and nothing for the Son of His love and nothing for His Spirit and our grace and faith and nothing for our eternal rest, we are to remember the net. We're to remember the net. We'll still get it wrong, but we're to remember the net. Uh, the worker on one of these bridges said this, no matter how high up you were and how hard you've been blown off, you would still fall in the net. We have Jesus. We have the net. Some of us have been blown off, and we don't want to get back up again. And I think the Lord just wants to remind us He's with us, and we have the net. We have